So we want to uh, go into the new year encouraged, I would think. Correct? Um, you know, not depressed, not despairing. Um, with some hope and with some confidence. And uh, I hope we will. The truths of God are, are actually incredibly simple most of the time. It's like, the, you know, the lessons learned in a sandbox. Be nice to one another. Love God. Um, and all that stuff. And we had some lovely, not lovely, actually very powerful testimonies this morning. And you will note that most of them have been discovered and rooted in everyday life. Um, that God usually, I mean, sometimes he does things right like that, but most of the time it's process. And most of the time the process demands walking things out. The part that is usually the hardest for us is the words that are so politically offensive, which is just give up, surrender, drop dead, which is actually speaking to us all the time about stop struggling, stop trying to control, stop trying to have an agenda, stop trying to tell God what to do, surrender. And every time you look at the scriptures and you look at what, what, how God is working with people, there's always that journey and always that battle. And I don't know if you've discovered it, I have, painfully many times, like God just does not change. He does not change. And he doesn't blink. And he can kind of stare you down for as long as you want. You ever try to change God's mind? But God, just understand, make excuses. Just this once, make an exception. And he just doesn't. Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. And I, the Lord, do not change. Which is actually your security. Because I'm not fickle. And last week we were talking about Mary uh, who, who was faced by the angel and who, who said, Mary, you are highly favored. And Mary is, was talking about is, you know, 14 years old. She's not old. She hasn't had a lot of life experience. So the one thing she seemed to have was, I'll surrender to you and, and I am your servant. And we talked about the confusion. Imagine an angel appearing to you and saying you're going to be pregnant and you're going to have a child and it's not even within the confines of the, your arrangements. You haven't got married yet. It's going to cause chaos with your family. And one of the things that we also need to just grow into in terms of getting used to is that God's ways don't always look convenient. They don't always make sense. And they don't always keep our lives nicely parceled up it can sometimes cause chaos. Primarily because we are so insecure, we're trying to make everything right and God is trying to blow things up sometimes. And so encountering God is not always easy. As Diana said, there's fear involved and you have to step through fear. Some people wait for fear to go away and so they are what? Prisoned by fear. Because fear doesn't go away. The way to get rid of fear, as was spoken earlier, is you step into it. You call its bluff. And fear actually is afraid. And so if you step towards fear, it actually doesn't know what to do, so it disappears. But you have to do it. And sometimes you have to do it more than once. Well, I tried that, it didn't work. No, you're practicing. I said many times, a lot of the things we do here, a lot of the things that I've learned in ministry started off with fear. This would be terrifying, speaking to you. 
and speaking to you with my hands in my pockets, wandering around and I'm not looking at my notes, would be absolutely impossible. But it's only as you step into it and you practice and you practice and you practice, eventually you come to that place of freedom which goes, I'm okay now. So I just want to encourage you, don't let the things that are your inheritance or the things that might be there for you be stopped by your subjective feelings and emotions right now. They are not the ultimate truth. They're just there to stop you going into something. So, and you see this with, the, with, with all the people that Jesus worked with. And so with Mary last week, we were talking about that, which was just surrender, which w- means what? It means just trust me. And I said, she didn't know when she got pregnant. The Holy Spirit came upon her and she's pregnant. Then she starts seeing the signs of it. I could have been Mary. Um, and, uh, and, you know, start seeing the signs of it. And you go, oh, something happened. You don't always know when it's happening. You start trusting the promise and says, okay, he said yes, so I guess I'm going to step into that. And maybe a couple of weeks later, suddenly you go, as we heard in a testimony, you know, something's changed. And then one of the biggest challenges for us is to hold on to the thing that's changed. So it's relational and it's, it's, it's walking it out and working it out. And Mary had to do that. And in Mary's experience, her yes and surrender to God was chaotic in terms of her life. You know, exile in Egypt. Well, why didn't you tell me that? A lot of our yeses to God, most of us, if we say yes to Jesus, again today, by February or maybe even January the 2nd, you'll be saying, I didn't sign up for that. And Jesus will say, yes, you did. And I'm, your, your yes is being tested. Which leads us to Peter. There's an amazing passage by, in John, which uh, in the, it's interesting because I wonder whether John intended to put this in or he, 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 he sort of did it as an afterthought because in John 20, verse 20, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And I think maybe at that point he said, Done. And then maybe he re- read it and there was this whole thing about the miraculous catch of fish and he went, that, that should probably be in here. Because I want to make Peter squirm, but I look good. I don't think that was his motive. But, um. And why, why I say that is because he ends this chapter with there are many more things. And you, you kind of go, I wish he'd written one more chapter. I wonder what else he could have told us. And Jesus appears to Simon, uh, appears to his disciples. You know this story well, most of you. That, you know, the disciples, they've gone through the horror of the crucifixion and, and Peter has gone through the humiliation of everything he said yes to. Jesus, I will follow you to the end. I will follow you. I will sacrifice my life for you. I'll lay down my life for you. If they attack you, I'm right by your side. And he had done that in Gethsemane. When the soldiers appeared, Peter took out his sword and he fought. When a servant girl appeared and said, do you know him? Peter fell. Sometimes our strengths are fine. It's the other little things that come in and take us out. I didn't see that one coming. What was Peter's problem? He's bold. He's quick to speak. He is brave. He is courageous. Lord, if it's you, let me come. And he jumps out into the water. 
Then he lets his circumstances quite understandably overwhelm and he goes, look at these waves, I shouldn't be here. And he starts thinking and Jesus saves him. But Peter has this problem. And one of his problems is, what do people think of me? And you know that because later on Paul says when Cephas came to to, to us, he started eating with the Jews when he had been eating with the Gentiles and I had to challenge him and say, how come you who are set free are now getting bound up again in legalism? And that was way down. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit, got great ministry, his shadow heals people, but he's still failing. And Peter has made this incredibly strong public affirmation to Jesus and then in this courtyard as Jesus is being led off to be tortured And Jesus looks at him across the courtyard and somebody says, do you know him? And three times he says, I don't know him. And he probably, if we actually had the recording, would find that he he might well have used the F word and swore at them to identify with the the people who didn't follow Jesus. And he might well have said something so derogatory just in his fear. And we read how he he runs off and, and he weeps. And they go through the crucifixion and they go through the resurrection where he runs with John to the tomb and they see Jesus, they see nobody there and, and, and then Jesus appears to Mary and then he appears in the upper room and unbelievably this man who had died and the man who they had betrayed and the man who they had believed in and then got confused about, he's there in their midst. And why at that moment doesn't he say to Peter, Peter, do you love me? What was Peter doing in that upper room, I wonder, when Jesus turns in and Peter is cannot, cannot, cannot forget how clearly he had said, I'll be with you and how completely he had betrayed his friend. I wonder if he just didn't look at him. I wondered if he was waiting for an axe to come down and say, everybody stay here, but Peter, you're out. And he doesn't. He, he basically says, here I am, and he has a meal. And he says, go to Galilee, and, and they end up going to Galilee. And I think they're still very discouraged. And I will say to you, and I will encourage you with our journeys with Jesus and with one another, lead us to places of huge joy and sometimes incredible despair. Times when, like Peter, we just fail. We chicken out. We bail. We deny the very thing we say we stand for. And you cannot follow Jesus without coming to those moments where with Peter you're in Galilee and you do what you know. I'm going to do carpentry. I'm going to go and work in my workshop. I'll mow the lawn. There is nothing left in me that has a lot of hope because I am so... Have you ever done this? I thought I'd learnt this lesson by now. Have you ever had that one? I thought I was more mature than this. I I vowed that I would never do this again and I'm doing it. Anybody relate? See, there's a there's a there's a frustration of in in before I was a Christian, this is what I did, then I became a Christian and everything was beautiful. And there are many, many places in Christianity where that's the lie that they perpetrate, which means we keep all our wrongdoings under the surface. Rather than going, Christianity is where sinners and people who are growing with Jesus learn and know where to be forgiven daily or minute by minute. 
because the good news is God comes to Mary and says, Mary, you are highly favored. Your Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You're going to contain the Spirit of Jesus, my Son. You're going to give birth to my Son. He is going to redeem the world. You're going to have to wait 30 years between that moment of conception and when he does his ministry. That's a long time. Some of us are impatient. But God said he was going to do this. You have this prophetic word and it's two weeks later and nothing's happened. Well, it might be five years. And God's prophetic word to the people of Israel or the Hebrew slaves was, I want you in the promised land in six months. Their fear of what it looked like, because it didn't look like what they expected, caused them to wander in the desert for 40 years. Sometimes God's prophetic word in our lives is not fulfilled because of our unbelief. And we say, why God, why God? And he will tell you why. If you stop and listen. And wait upon him. God often is not as spiritual as we are. And so they're down in Galilee. And Peter and the others are fishing. John is there as well. And they fish all night, as you know, and they catch nothing. I mean, nothing is going right. This is not good. Jesus, the light of the world, has risen. And they're not feeling very resurrected. They're feeling broken, confused, out of their depth. What do we do? Here we go again. Emotionally on a roller coaster. And furthermore, Peter is probably still carrying this. Oh my. Why didn't Jesus say something in the room? And then we have that dawning of the morning and somebody sees a figure on on, on the shore and they're only 100 yards away and then somebody else says, I think it's the master. And all Peter's emotion just... He can't contain himself. He's already jumped out of boat and walked on water. This time he's so full of guilt he can't walk on water. He's gonna, and he puts on his outer clothing and he jumps in the water. He's so emotionally distraught. And he swims or pulls himself through because the shores of Galilee are not that deep. And he comes up dripping wet and Jesus is there. No doubt smiling and he still doesn't say anything to him other than, hello, have some fish. And so the others are coming in and, and, and Peter is there. He's not feeling rejected, but Peter still hasn't said anything to him about the issue, the elephant in the room. And they have a meal together. And then P- Jesus maybe draws Peter away and begins a conversation with him. This is not a self-confident Peter. The last time Peter was contrite was when Jesus first called them and he said to them, put out into the deep. And they went, oh, we've already fished this place. We're we're experienced fishermen. Now you're asking us to go out again. You know that fish do not get caught in Galilee during the daylight hours. But to humor you, we will go. And they go and they catch this massive thing of fish. And then Peter, Simon at that point, is on the boat, in the fish, on his knees, saying, Jesus, go away from me, depart from me, I'm a sinner. And he kind of felt that but this time in Galilee a few years later there's a deeper deeper conviction where he says as the psalmist says depart from me there is nothing good that lives in me I mean if I were you Jesus I would not be talking to me right now if I were you Jesus I would be fired if I were you Jesus there is nothing I would entrust to me because I have proved so incredibly incapable of being trusted. My words mean nothing because of my behavior. 
And in the world, that's how we operate. Peter, your resume has just been so messed up. Nobody's going to employ you as a disciple. And Jesus now faces Peter with the truth of both himself and of Peter. And I think much is said by the way he looks at Peter. And all of him actually is not disappointed with Peter because he actually said, Peter, this is what you're going to do. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter's the one who said, no, I won't. So for Jesus, this is not a revelation. Because Jesus isn't disillusioned with Peter and he's not even disappointed with Peter. He's just saying, what did you think was going to happen? Well, I thought I'm Braveheart. Well, now you're just Mary Poppins. I know, and I don't like it. And so Jesus says to Peter, and he's already said by providing the meal, he's already said by his presence, he said, Peter, in all of the unspokenness of our communication right now, I'm not leaving you, I'm not abandoning you, I'm not betraying you, I'm not casting you out. I still love you. I've never stopped loving you. And I never had any expectations that you were going to be that reliable. But I just love you and I love your heart and I love your willingness to try. And I still do. So I'm not sitting here mortified and hurt because you betrayed me in that courtyard. I went to that courtyard so that I could actually give hope to those who will betray me. And I can restore those who will fail miserably. And I can forgive those whose words mean nothing at times. And I can bring life to people who go, I give up on myself. And that's why in some ways there's a lot of wisdom in saying, all your resolutions about what you're going to do, you're setting yourself up for failure. Give it up. Give up trying to be what you can't be in your own strength. It doesn't mean you don't do something else. It just means if you're relying on yourself, if you're going to follow God and if you're going to really find Jesus, you're going to have to come to terms with the fact that you cannot do it in your own strength. And your life is going to be peppered with moments where that is proven. And at those moments, you're going to have a choice as to whether you grow in grace and forgiveness or whether you just become hard and resistant and deny it. But if you want life, you've got to have the conversation with Jesus where he looks at you and he looks at me. You see, we can be saying, God, I want to do this and I want to do that. And God will say, yes. But we're first going to meet on the shore of Galilee and we're going to have a conversation about what happened. And so Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me? More than these. And it's been always a, a mystery as to what is he saying there? And maybe he's saying, Peter, do you love me more than your friendships? Do you love me more than your family? Do you love me more than these boats and fishing? Do you love me more than this beautiful place in Galilee? Do you love me more than anything else around you? Now, it is quite possible. And he's, he's already been with Jesus for three years. So he's got a lot more foundation than some of us might have. And so it's very possible to say, Lord, I want to. Like the man who said, I want to believe, help my unbelief. It's quite possible 
You see, it's useless saying, I'm going to try, I'm going to try. It's just saying, Lord, here I am. I want to love you as much as that. It's a good place to be. I want to. Help my unwanting. He loves that. Because it shows self-awareness. It shows truthfulness. And he just says, I'll work with whatever you give me. Just understand that you need me more than I need you. And everything I give you to do is not, I'm not relying on you because if Mary was speaking here and Peter was speaking here, the first thing they would probably say is, I want to give glory to Jesus and I wish you would stop calling me Saint Mary, Mother of God, and stop calling me Saint Peter. The very reason my life has glorified God is because when you looked at my life, you'd go, how could God use that woman? How could God use that man? Which is the very reason you qualify and I qualify. How could God use you? And as we heard very passionately given by Marilyn, you know, Satan is there to accuse and to kill and destroy. And that's what he does in our inner voices and even in our relationships sometimes with each other. Kill and destroy, kill and destroy. And Jesus said, raise up, renew, redeem. And so the man he loves so much, Peter, he speaks to and he just says, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. What's in between the lines? It's in between the lines as Jesus is taking him back to that courtyard and said, you hurt me. You betrayed me. You were wrong. And he was saying to Peter, I am offering you forgiveness. I am offering you restoration, but you're not going to get it unless you step into it. One of the reasons we don't get some of the stuff we want is because we will not repent. We will not bow the knee. One of the curses of our Western culture and our Western Christianity is we have Jesus on the top of everything else we've cherry-picked. And he will bring us, every single one of us, from time to time to a place where he says, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this attitude. We need to talk about your failure. I'm not accusing you with it. I want to free you from it. But you're going to have to name it. There'll be fear in that as well and pride in that as well. But if you want to see God accelerate in your life, get used to repentance. Get used to saying, Father, forgive me. Not because I'm condemned. It's like, again, taking the shower. I just need to be cleansed. I need to own my stuff. I am capable of things that cause me to shake my head. I know who I am without Jesus. It scares me. Do you know who you are without Jesus? It better scare you. It should be the key to humility forever. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so you have this powerful, powerful encounter Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? I will say to you, sometimes we carry around hurt that we need to just bring to Jesus. Sometimes Jesus will hurt you. Only because there's you alive that needs to die and he's going for all of you, not part of you. 
He's going for deep work, not superficial work. So often it is, Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know me, I love you. Praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus, thank you. And off we go. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute, slow down. You sure you love me? Oh Lord, that hurts my feelings. Well, kill them, man. Kill them. Stop giving such authority to your feelings. How much authority do you give your feelings? How much of us are ruled by our feelings? How reliable are they? How consistent are they? How truthful are they? What do they reflect? Be very, very wary of your feelings as an authority. And so Jesus says, what does he say? He said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. He doesn't say, you'll get a big house and a car, you'll be financially secure for the rest of your life, blessed are you Peter. He actually says nothing to Peter about how Peter is going to benefit from this yes He just says, I want you to serve, go and look after my sheep. And as we end this new year, going to the new, end this old year, going to the new year, what might God be saying to you and to me about go and serve and stop worrying about how I'm going to meet your need? But understand that I will meet your need because what is he saying to Peter? All the stuff around Peter, when he says, Do you love me? Jesus does not reply. We need to talk about these things where you've screwed up. We need to talk about where you failed. We need to talk about how you did this and how you did that. And what did Jesus ultimately say? He entrusts to Peter his sheep, his lambs, his church, his people. And it seems to be that the essence of everything that Jesus was entrusting was based upon the relationship that Peter was going to have with him. The most important thing to Jesus with his disciples through his life and death and resurrection was safeguarding the relationships. If he was operating on terms of function, performance, he would have nobody left. And one of the things we are working on is how do we, we talk about becoming family, how do we safeguard relationships here? What kind of value is placed upon them? And how does truth of Jesus actually impact everything we do and everything we are? So Jesus says to Peter, serve, go feed my sheep, care for my lambs. And then he tells him, and There's a time when you were clothed and you could do what you want and there will come a time where others will clothe you and you will go where you do not want to go. Part of the maturity of Jesus in us is when we're willing to do the things we don't want to do. Or how we actually bear witness to Jesus when everything is going wrong and we might have to die. And Peter's still not perfect. So he hears this and I'm sure he's relieved and I'm sure there's a whole kind of moment there with Jesus of just sort of, you know, if I was doing this maybe in a script and we were acting it, maybe when Jesus said, and there will come a time, I might have had Jesus walking along the beach with Peter with his arm around Peter, totally kind of reconciled in a way. And then Peter's going, 
What about him? And Jesus says, don't worry about him. How much of your life do you live saying, what about them? What about them? Well, they got that and I didn't. Or they're doing this and I'm not. What about them? And Jesus says, what's it to you? You follow me. How much of our lives are we talking? Are we always talking about other people? And Jesus is saying, I want to talk to you. But what about, leave them with me. I want to talk to you. But, it's affliction. You can't know the depth of the love of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the passion of Jesus, without having to overcome the fears and insecurities of encountering Jesus. And to hear his words say, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. And then John says, what does he say? He says, and then there was a rumor going around that uh, John was not going to die. Who do you think spread the rumor? Peter probably. Probably the only one who heard it. And John. And Peter probably went, what Jesus told me that John wasn't going to, he probably got it wrong. Not seriously wrong, but wrong. And, and John has to correct and say, no, he didn't say that. So as we end this year and go into a new year, maybe it would be good in just three minutes while we're sitting here to reflect with Jesus about where he's saying, do you love me? And when he's saying that to us, he's actually bringing to us anything, to our anything that is getting in the way of him releasing us into the new year. In other words, unforgiven sin. Anything, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's nothing. But just talk to Jesus in these next few minutes. Father, we ask your Holy Spirit, thank you that you come with no condemnation, but you are the way, the truth, and the life. And you don't make exceptions. But you just want to talk to us about, and you say to us right now, he says to you, and me, do you love me more than these? And as Diana spoke about so, so, so transparently, maybe there are things you love more than the, you know, there are more than these that is getting in the way because you, Jesus, I'm coming with this. Or I'm coming with this person. I'm coming with this condition. And he just says, no conditions. I was naked on the cross with you. I held nothing. I gave up all my riches in heaven to come to earth. Lay it down. You're laying it down before somebody who loves you, adores you, treasures you and values you and will never leave you. He's far more trustworthy than you are. Do you love me? More than these. And you tell him, Breathe a sigh of relief and go, Phew, thank goodness that's over. And then he says, Do you love oh shoot, do you love me? Is there anything else, Lord? And when we do this, we don't have to struggle because actually God's not trying to go through your whole life and accuse you. You will know if there's stuff that you need to talk to him about. Don't wait till you get home. Do it now. Just tell him, Lord, here it is.
And if it's something you don't know how to let go of, just tell him, Lord, I want to, but I don't know how to. Holy Spirit, will you take these words and make them true in our lives and hearts? That what you did with Peter is absolutely what you want to do with us. We're not coming here to church today. We're coming here to encounter Jesus so that the rest of today and tomorrow we know his presence among us. And we say to you, Lord, we need to be changed. Forgive us where we have grieved you and where we have grieved one another. Forgive us where we have said things that we haven't followed up and we have not said things that we should have said. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Forgive us. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Create in us a servant heart, Lord. Like Mary and like Peter. Surrendered to you. No more agendas. Just, Lord, what do you want to do with me over 2018? Holy Spirit thank you Jesus I want to finish in the last five minutes with just looking to Peter when he's just about to die when that prophecy on the beach of Galilee is now coming true 30 years later. In 2 Peter, you say, so Peter, how did it go from then? What would you say to people to encourage them after your experience with Jesus and then your life of following him after that? What would you say? And you, you look to 2 Peter chapter 1 and you get some clues. See, I don't think Peter was like John. Peter wasn't this mystic who might kind of have these vibrations and saw things like John did. Peter was jumping in the water, action man. Get into trouble and get out of trouble. John was more, yeah, orange. John was more the artist and the kind of, I'm feeling it today. I'm sensing things. Let's write a song or a poem. I mean, it's beautiful. Peter was, come on, man, let's do something. And so Peter starts his letter. I'm going to be quick because I want to just encourage you with it. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle. He got the servant thing and so he addresses himself and says, from now on, I'm a servant. You can call me apostle, you can call me St. Peter, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm just Pete. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Everything that Peter is living out is from a knowledge of Jesus, relationship with Jesus. Grace that comes undeserved from Jesus. His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. In other words, my power doesn't cut it, but his divine power after 30 years after this Galilee incident, I'm testifying, has been enough. And I've still got issues. But he has used me in a way that I would never have seen possible. My life was fishing in Galilee. 
His life was making him a fisher of men with an influence for the rest of human history. And I can't even write. I'm dictating this letter. Through, the, through these he has given us his very... He, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And this is the part where action man comes in and this is the part where I encourage us as we go from here because so many of us are stuck in feelings and emotions and get so discouraged. We need community, we need the scriptures, we need worship, we need all of it. But he says this, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, faith looks like something is worked out in the context of human relationships and it needs to be worked at. And if we work at it, it comes back in full circle and our worship increases, our sense of awe increases, our sense of God increases and that's how it works. Does that make sense? If you love me, then love one another. Feed my sheep. Forgive one another. Bear with one another. Jesus and the one another is always connected. How can you say you love me if you do not love one another? I want to say I love you, forget about the rest, because the rest just shows who I really am. So the who I really am, that uh, Michael is always telling me I need to absolutely uh, hand up here, and I agree with him, is who I really am is made new in Jesus. So who, I'm re- who I was, when that starts coming up in my life, I need to say, well, that needs to go back to Jesus because this is who I am. So, one of the ways to help us, and this is why I started off with this whole thing about um, resolutions, which poor old Heather is the only one who's going to do them, apparently. <laughs> so pray for Heather. Um, it's too late now, Michael. You, you missed it. Uh, you know, the question was asked. You didn't put your hand up, so forget it. Um, I was going to play you a clip um, from Graham Cook, who, who, ma- who was just doing an encouraging little excerpt for New Year. Um, and so I'm siding with him and he, he, about not doing resolutions. And he, he was saying... Um, that before the, the, the printing press, you know, for 15, virtually 1,500 years, there wasn't any printing or reading. So what did Christians do? Some of you would say, I wish I was born then. I wouldn't be bugged about reading Scripture all the time. What they had was a very theatrical church in many senses. That's a lot of part of the, the theater of the Catholic Church is rooted in where people went for pageantry because that's how they saw the glory of God. They saw the glory of God in cathedrals and in all the priestly stuff. Of course, it all got misused but it was trying to bear witness to the glory of God in a very dark and broken world. And then only the priests were educated so they could read and then they could also control what you heard. So there's a lot of stuff that went sideways. But one of the things they did that was maybe helpful was, he said there was something called the regular. uh, regular. And what they did was say, because you can't read and because you can't remember everything, 
take a, take a passage, I mean, take, a, take a, a verse and use it as a kind of life message and hold on to that verse throughout the year and take it as a promise for you and take it as something that's going to cover your life and, and begin to be able to quote it and say it and say it every day and let it sink deep into you. So, instead of making resolutions, and of course, I mean, there's no legalism. If you want to make resolutions, that's fine. Um, resolute away. But maybe think of a verse that might be God's word for you for, for this year. Um, one that was quoted and I, I, I think I might use is Colossians 3.17 and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it, in, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It takes me forever to memorize. I mean, I looked at this quite a lot yesterday and I still can't remember it. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the na- all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Take, ask God for a verse today if you don't have one. And if you know, don't use the old chestnuts just because you've known them forever so it's easy. You don't even have to learn a new verse. Ask God for a verse for you for the year that you can actually um, live by. Or you can be... Because what God will do is He will use it as a way of reminding you of things and of filtering through life and saying, you are going to have times, probably by the 2nd of January, where you're probably going to be on the shore of Galilee again what has happened? I had this beautiful worship time and a beautiful quiet time and look, look at me. And the key to life is learning how to pick yourself up quickly. Step back into grace. Come out of accusation. But you don't do that by denying it. You do that by confessing it. Denial just keeps the pus in and the poison in. Confession brings it all out so you can actually begin to grow in wholeness. So, let's stand. The worship team can come up because now we're done for 2017. And we've, we've been on the beach and we've said, Lord, do, you know, I love you. And he said, I love you back. I love you more. Let's ask him to fill us with new verses, new promises, new expectations, new strength, new relationship with Jesus. You know, of course, that when it comes to relationship with Jesus, he can't love you anymore, so he can't work on his relationship with you because he's actually given you everything right from the start. So when it comes to you and I working in our relationship with him, all that means is he's saying, just let me in more deeply 